By now, you've probably heard all about the drama that has been unfolding at the world's most well-known AI company, OpenAI. But here's a quick recap, just in case. In the last week, the CEO, a man named Sam Altman, was fired by the board for pretty vague reasons. Then the vast majority of employees at the company revolted and signed a letter threatening to quit if he wasn't reinstated. There was a late Sunday meeting between Altman and the board, possibly to see if there was a way to bring him back as CEO. But instead, Altman was hired by Microsoft, and OpenAI announced an interim CEO. Since then, more staff threatened to quit, one board member involved in Altman's firing professed his regrets, and then, very late on Tuesday, Altman was reinstated as OpenAI's CEO. He left behind his role at Microsoft, and the interim CEO at OpenAI was gone, and the board that fired Altman in the first place is now also mostly gone. It's a lot. At the center of this news hurricane is a Canadian AI scientist named Ilya Sutskever. Today, Report on Business journalist Joe Castaldo is on the show to tell us who Ilya Sutskever is, his role in the wild news events of the past week, and his hopes for the future of artificial intelligence. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and this is The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Joe, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. So we are talking around noon on Thursday, and I think that's important to note because, you know, every day this past week, there's been some new development in this saga. So, you know, things are changing fast here. But I think to start, let's just go through some of the main characters, so to speak. So Sam Altman and Ilya Sutskevar. Uh Let's begin with Ilya, uh, who is probably lesser known to, to most people in general. Uh, who, who exactly is he? Yeah, so Ilya Sutskever is the uh, one of the co-founders of OpenAI and the chief science officer over there. So for the past eight years, he's been directing the, the research at OpenAI and has played a really big role in a number of AI breakthroughs. Um, he's widely regarded as um, a brilliant thinker. Um, someone I spoke to described him as a bit of a prophet who has a mystical take wow. on things. And um, AI has been his his whole life, uh, essentially. He's he's well known within the AI community, but not, not exactly a household name. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then let's talk about Sam Altman, because he is a little more of a household name, really. Yeah. Sam is uh, sort of in the category of celebrity CEOs these days. <laughs> he's really made himself um, not just the face of OpenAI, but I would say this era of AI in general. He went on a bit of a world tour, like visiting multiple cities to uh, meet with developers and speak about AI at a time when governments are really motiv motivated to regulate it. Um, he came to Toronto back in May, um, mm -hmm. and I had about six minutes to chat with him after a talk he gave and hmm. just a, a little anecdote to sort of show his popularity. Please. You know, we were chatting uh, sort of next to an elevator and and there was this hallway next to us. And at the other end of the hallway was a reception area where everyone went after the talk to mingle. And everybody was just staring at Sam like it was palpable that they're waiting to to mob 
mob this guy. <laughs> and then Sam, you know, ducked out. And this woman came up to me and like, she had this really plaintive look on her face. And she's like, do you know if Sam is coming back? <laughs> and I had to say, no, I'm sorry. Sam has left the building. Wow. Okay. So yeah, when you say celebrity CEO, he's, he's got fans. He does. Huh. And uh, a ton of supporters in Silicon Valley specifically. Wow. Okay, so we've we've got these two men who are really integral to this company that's been caught up in all kinds of corporate drama recently. Uh, Joe, I guess beyond the the intrigue around all of this, like why is this power struggle worth paying attention to? So, OpenAI is is probably the most important AI uh, institution right now. Mm. It's been kind of setting the standard in terms of generative AI. You know, its flagship product, ChatGPT, which was released around this time last year, just kicked off this whole generative AI boom. And so it's this really pivotal moment for AI. You know, a lot of people say this moment is like when the World Wide Web launched or when the iPhone launched. You know, AI is set to change how we do everything. So it's this crucial moment for AI and OpenAI specifically. So let's come back to Ilya Sutskever. Uh, we know he played a role in, in Sam Altman's firing last week. What exactly was his, his role in all of that, Joe? Well, it seems like he, he's played um, a key role, um, sort of according to kind of one account. He uh, texted Sam Altman um, on, I guess, November 16th and uh, invited him to a meeting the next day. And Sam hops on this, this Google Meet call and most of the board is there, including Ilya, because he's a board member. And he reads a statement to Sam, effectively telling him that he's fired a CEO. That same day, um, Ilya reaches out to Greg Brockman, who's another OpenAI co-founder and uh, the chair of the board. And in a similar meeting, he's, uh, he's kicked off the board. And so the statement goes out and says, uh, you know, Sam is uh, no longer CEO because he hasn't been consistently candid with the board. And um, Greg quits the company entirely and uh, chaos ensues. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess I, I wonder about Ilya's role here. Do we have any sense of why Ilya would have been the one, the person to deliver this message? Greg is the chair of the board. Um, it's ordinarily the chair that might you know, do these sorts of things. So somebody else had to step in. And Ilya's Ilya's the only one, um, the only board member who officially works at OpenAI. And he's known Sam for, for a very long time. Okay. All right. So now that Sam Altman is is back, uh, do we know what, do we know what Ilya thinks of all of that? He seems to be quite thrilled that uh, Sam is back. He tweeted, um, there's no sentence in any language that exists that can describe just how happy he is. So he's really enthusiastic. But like, let's remember, he fired the guy a few days before, right? So this is kind of weird. He delivered the message that Sam was fired and he reversed course completely huh. um, at one point. So after, you know, the weekend after Sam was let go uh, on the Monday, this open letter comes out from OpenAI employees demanding that Sam be reinstated as CEO and the board resign. Um, and it was signed by Ilya, who himself is a board member. So he's effectively demanding his own resignation. Wow. Or he'll quit, right? Like uh, almost all 800 of them were ready to, to leave if, if the board didn't resign and if Sam didn't return. 
And um, that same day, Ilya said again on X that he, he deeply regrets his uh, participation in the board's actions. So whatever Sam did to get fired um, apparently was not worth, you know, imploding open AI hmm. um, for Ilya. So just to be clear here, now Sam Altman is back as CEO. Uh, did Ilya quit uh, after that happened? Ilya is no longer on the board. Okay. So there is an entirely new board um, that is quite corporate. It's all men at the moment. Um, it, you know, it's been described as the initial board, which indicates they're going to bring on some more people. Um, but yes, as of this recording, anyway, he's still the chief science officer. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of a kind of back and forth that we just gone over here, Steve, where Ilya's kind of, you know, he's been on one side of things and then he's switched to the other, I guess. How do we make sense of, of his his reversals here? We don't know. I mean, there's, there's been some um, reporting in the U.S. that, uh, you know, personal appeals were made to Ilya to reconsider. Mm-hmm. People I spoke to who know him say, you know, he has opinions, he, he can be strong-willed, um, but he ultimately does care about people. He's a principled individual who wants to do the right thing as he sees it. And, you know, it, it looks like nobody on the original board anticipated all of the fallout. But we don't really know because he hasn't said much. We'll be back in a minute. So we've sorted out kind of the main events of, of last week, Joe. Uh, I think we should maybe get a deeper picture now of Ilya Sutskever. Uh, so let's let's go back a little bit into, into his past and his history. Uh, how did he actually get involved in AI research? So he has said that he's been interested in AI essentially since he was a kid. So he was born in Russia, um, grew up in Israel. Um, his family moved to Canada when he was 16. Um, and he said that as as a kid, you know, he could remember thinking about this notion that like he he is a conscious being with his own thoughts and feelings and experience, and you know, other people are their own beings with their own consciousness. Mm. And this idea really intrigued him, and he wanted to understand intelligence more deeply. And when he uh, came to to Canada, he he was able to enroll at the University of Toronto. Um, when he was, you know, effectively, you know, in, in the equivalent of grade 11, owing to his, uh, his education in Israel. Um, so he starts in mathematics, mm-hmm. but he's really interested in AI. And I think when he's still an undergrad around 2002, 2003, um, he seeks out Jeffrey Hinton. Uh, we, we, he's, of course, he's known as one of the godfathers of AI, right? And, and he was also at U of T at that time. Hinton is... Uh, uh, an icon in AI research today. He wasn't necessarily back then. Hmm. He had been sort of toiling away for decades working on what are called neural networks, it's an approach to to AI that everybody else thought was a dead end. Um, and Ilya himself has said, you know, when he started in AI, he said, uh, kind of with the flair of a Russian novelist, he said, it's a field of desolation and despair, right? <laughs> Nobody was making any progress. Um, and his... His goal was to make just one meaningful contribution to advance this research forward. Um, he ended up making, you know, more than one, um, and you know, in particular, worked very closely with with Jeffrey Hinton um, for years. And Hinton was uh, his, his PhD advisor, um, and they they did go into business together uh, quite briefly. Hmm. You mentioned neural networks. Can you just remind us what what does that mean? 
it's not a, a perfect um, sort of comparison, but a lot of people compare it to the, the human brain. Like Hinton was a cognitive psychologist interested in how the brain works. And so that analogy made sense to him. So similar to how the brain has billions of, of neurons that trade signals back and forth, an artificial neural network has you know, a lot of digital neurons that trade signals back and forth. Um, and his thinking was, if you could feed some data into an artificial neural network, mm. um, it can learn. It can learn to recognize patterns. Um, so this is kind of like a type of machine learning, right? That's kind of like a computer brain in a way? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a very easy way to think about it. A lot of people will, will quibble with that, but I think for lay people, it makes a kind of sense. Yeah. Um, but everybody thought this was a dead end. Hinton did not. Ilya did not. And um, eventually they, they were vindicated in their approach. Hmm. Interesting. So that actually, that gives us a, a good idea kind of of how Ilya started to get into this space. Uh, how did he eventually get involved with OpenAI? So he was at Google in 2015, along with Jeffrey Hinton, and he had a reputation as being, um, you know, one of the, the top minds in, in AI research. Um, and he gets an email from Sam Altman, who at that time was a bit of a Silicon Valley entrepreneur, running an incubator, uh, investing in startups. And Sam invites him out for a dinner. And Elon Musk is there. Um, Greg Brockman is there. Reid Hoffman, um, the founder of LinkedIn, is there. And they start talking about AI. And wow, this is a powerful table. A very powerful table, yes. These are heavy hitters in, in the Valley. And it's from that conversation um, that they went on to found uh, OpenAI in December of 2015. Wow. And it's important to, to note that they didn't start a company. They started a nonprofit. Um, their goal was to you know, pursue AI for the benefit of all humanity, uh, you know, free from uh, sort of commercial and financial pressures. And that nonprofit uh, ethos has has eroded over the years, you could say, but but back then, everybody you know had rose colored glasses and, and the best of intentions, and specifically they they wanted to work on um, artificial general intelligence or AGI, which hmm. is about AI systems that are smarter than than us. Okay, so let, let's talk a little bit more about this because this this kind of sounds like. Where, where things are headed. So we have ChatGPT now, which has been in the public consciousness for, I guess, about a year. Um, what do we know about what Ilya thinks AI's future is? So Ilya has been obsessed, uh, you know, someone uh, told me, uh, with AGI for a very long time. Like, it's, it's, it's all-consuming. Um, I spoke to somebody who knows Ilya, and um, he told this anecdote about how they hadn't seen each other in a couple of years, and they go out to dinner, and the first thing Ilya asks is, like, so so how long do you think before AGI gets here? Um, hmm. And there's this uh, this anecdote that has emerged uh, recently that at an OpenAI um, uh, event last year, he leads employees in this chant of, feel the AGI. What exactly is AGI? It, well, that's the thing. Like, it's going to mean different things to different people, but it's just AI systems that are as smart as us or even smarter than us uh, at a very broad level. But, like, you know, how you measure that, you know, how you define intelligence, it, it gets really messy. To him, like, this is the goal. Um, 
the goal is to build something that is smarter than us because maybe it can teach us something about ourselves or it can improve our lives in, in ways that, uh, that we can't really foresee today. And do we know how, how close we might be to, to such a thing, to, to AGI? Again, everybody will have their, their own timelines. Um, Jeffrey Hinton previously thought that it would take you know, 30 to 100 years to get there. But owing to the recent advancements, uh, including ChatGPT, he's, he's revised that to like five to 20 years. Wow. And uh, that's reason for concern. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so if we were to create AGI, like how how would we contain it? So like an artificial intelligence that you know part of it, the definition of it would be that it's smarter than us. So there's this concept in AI research called alignment, which just means very broadly like ensuring that AI systems do what they're supposed to do. Um, OpenAI has come out with this concept that they call super alignment, which is, I guess, alignment on steroids, <laughs> right? It's about keeping AGI systems in check. So um, the more powerful AI system you have, the, the more damage it can do if it's misaligned or if it goes rogue, that kind of thing. That has been Ilya's focus the past few months because, to be clear, like Ilya and some other people at OpenAI believe that a super intelligent AI, you know, threatens humanity, right? Let's like get into the actual scale of this, though, Joe. Like when we're talking about these risks that pose a threat to humanity, what what are we saying here? Like, is, are we talking about a worry that we could actually be wiped out as a species? For some people, like Hinton and uh, Yashwa Bengio, who's another very prominent Canadian AI researcher, um, they do mean that literally. Like, it is a possibility. Like, they view it as a remote possibility. But even if there's, like, you know, uh, a 0.0001% chance, it's worth considering. Yeah, yeah. Um, the AI community likes open letters. Uh, so, like, earlier this year, there was uh, an open letter um, that, you know, consisted of a single sentence about how, you know, uh, we need to deal with the that that AI could pose an existential risk to humanity and we need to, to deal with that, you know, the same way that we deal with climate change. I spoke to some people early, earlier this year who signed the letter and there was a bit of like backtracking, like, well, extinction is a pretty strong word or, or, you know, like I agree with the sentiment of it. Like there was a lot of uh, fear about the pace of AI development back then. And, you know, some people really wanted to help motivate governments to take it seriously. So they were looking at it from that perspective. Other people foresee bad outcomes if AI isn't developed properly, such as, you know, like mass mass job loss or, mm. you know, a bad actor using super powerful AI to develop bioweapons or do sophisticated hacks into critical infrastructure or spread misinformation and destabilize democracy. All, the, all those kinds of... Um, I mean, all of those sound pretty bad too, right? Yeah, sort of dystopic scenarios that people foresee. So, hmm. you know, fall short of extinction, but not great. Yeah, we're still not in a great place if any of those do happen, right? So, I mean, it, it sounds like there are, you know, some a lot of significant concerns here, Joe. Uh, I, I guess I wonder why why risk it, right? Like, what is, what is the case for the promise of AI? So... Um, in my very short interview with Sam Altman, I, I did ask him that. And one of his responses is that, well, you know, other people are going to do it. Like, um, 
you know, if we stop development, somebody else isn't going to. And there is a sentiment that it, it could be really beneficial to society and the costs of not pursuing it uh, sort of outweigh the the risks that come with it. So it is worth doing. So one of the examples that, that Ilya was talking about recently, he gave a TED talk like just a month ago about AGI. Like he, he seemed really enthusiastic about healthcare applications and he was talking about like an AGI doctor that you could, you know, it's trained on all the medical literature in the world and has like tens of thousands of hours of lab experience or, or the equivalent of that. You know, someday we're going to look back at healthcare as we have it today. You know, it'll be the equivalent of like dentistry in the 16th century. Hmm. I guess to end here, Joe, we should just maybe circle back to what we started talking about, which is all the drama from uh, the last week. Uh, I guess what should we take away from all of that, Joe? Overall, it's not a good look for open AI or even sort of corporate development of AI in general. Like if AI is as dangerous as a lot of people believe it to be, and you know, there are real documented risks for sure. So, you know, if this is a, a dangerous technology, it needs to be developed responsibly, transparently, equitably, so that, you know, it benefits us all. You know, and if the people developing it can't get their act together in terms of just running the organization like that that's that's kind of disconcerting you know so it raises a lot of questions about okay well how do we how do we regulate this how do we how do we govern this how concerning is it that ai is being developed by really just a handful of private corporations um you know is that level of concentration uh, a good thing how do we address that so I think like all great corporate dramas, this comes back to proper regulation and corporate governance, which is dull, but true. Hmm. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Thank you. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wells. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Adrian Chung is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.